0: What's going on guys? My name is El De Niro and welcome to episode 4 of my 13 Reasons Why review mini-series. I hope you guys are enjoying it and if you are, please leave a like and a comment. I guess that's all I want to say in the intro for this one. I will try to remember to leave a link to the playlist for the whole series in the description and if I don't, you can find it somewhere on my channel, I hope. Anyway, I feel like I have a lot to say about this episode. I'll try and keep it as concise as possible, but I think this might be a longer episode than the last one, so this is episode 4 and this episode picks up exactly where the last episode left off, with Clay sneaking out of his home, except within the 12 seconds it took him to prop up his window, the streets have become awash with spooky Halloween decorations. A skeleton can be seen hanging from a tree as Clay cycles by, possibly the most obvious piece of symbolism in the show so far. Fascination Street by The Cure plays in the background, which I like because it's a great song from a great album, and Clay, visibly on edge, crashes his bike into a Porsche, at least I think it's a Porsche, while Hannah drones on in his earphones about how Twitter and Facebook are turning us into stalkers, and we love it because Hannah is woke. We then learn that Hannah had a stalker. She speaks about how she's trembling at the thought of the skeleton that this stalker has dug up, and she holds the microphone over her heart to punctuate the existing fear she still has. This is basically a snapshot of the whole show. She is the most psychologically self-aware teenager in the history of television, and although these episodes do portray several harrowing experiences that could snowball into a nervous breakdown, particularly, I must add, when combined with what I have yet to see, because I'm only four episodes in. But it's just unsettling to hear her speak at great length about her awareness of not only the events and their consequences, but the psychological impact it has on her. For context, this is a woman who would not benefit from speaking to a counsellor. There is no question a counsellor could ask her, to reshape her misery into a manageable load because she's completely aware of this she is as aware as any mentally healthy person can be she would have to go to therapy i suppose something like that in order to fix the whatever it was that led her to kill herself but from where i'm sitting it just does not appear to have been a chemical imbalance anyway We meet Marcus, who startles the ever-on-edge Clay. Marcus is wearing a neon sombrero and a Clint Eastwood poncho. I'm sure I don't need to explain why. I think one of the things I wanted to add about this scene and how Hannah just launches into a story about the fact that she has a stalker is the way that this show still has an ability to surprise me in a positive way because while I'm able to criticize the complete lack of context for Hannah's suicide, in spite of the dirt they keep throwing onto the windshield of her life, it is interesting that they can be like, oh, Hannah had a stalker, and I can be like, oh, wow, that's pretty bad. So it does leave the door constantly open for things to get worse and worse for Hannah, and that's one of the reasons why I keep listening. We learn that Tyler is the stalker, and the tapes urge the listener to throw a rock at the window. At least that's implied from what Marcus says. I don't think that Hannah ever actually says that. We see a conversation between Tyler and his dad, and his dad is just playing the vintage beta male father we've come to expect from this show and also other Netflix shows I've noticed as he winily bemoans the negative attention his son is receiving referencing the cracked glass from the Throne Stones who are these kids is what he asks in that exact kind of tone it's like I feel like this and Stranger Things both pay homage to the glory days of cinema or like 70s and 80s TV and I feel like the dads in those shows were tougher than the dads in these shows and I hate to sound like one of those guys but it's just really alarming how inadequate these fathers are at looking after their sons but anyway speaking of pathetic humans we learn in the next scene that clay hates zombies clay the nerdy introverted sad kid who we can count on when we need to channel our inner nerd hates zombies i can't even begin to express how awful that is anyway when that train wreck of a conversation ends hannah goes into her house only to be disturbed by the sound of a camera shutter from the 90s taking a photograph she then goes into her bedroom in her house and she can still hear the shutter through a closed window. Now, this scene requires such a strong suspension of disbelief that it's actually even less credible than the idea of Tony attending a secondary school and not appearing on some kind of government list. I mean, A, who on earth would think it's a good idea to hide in a bush and take, like, a hundred pictures of a girl's window while the shutter sound is turned on? And B, how thin are those windows? How can you... Admittedly only on the first floor, and one thing I did learn from this episode is that everyone in this show has their bedroom on the first floor. But how can you hear the sound of a camera taking hundreds of pictures? Are they not double glazed windows? If anything, this scene is a huge indicator that Hannah was a paranoid schizophrenic or suffered from some form of psychosis involving auditory hallucinations. I have a strong feeling that when I'm finished with this show, I'm going to be able to construct the most in-depth fan theory pertaining to her mental state that you will ever ever here, This show is reaching fight club levels of delusion in my opinion. There's a scene in the school hallway where Clay runs into Tyler to try to talk to him and in typical Clay fashion there's no real urgency or emotion, just really frustrating diplomacy accompanied by confusion. He ends up talking to Bryce who invites him to his Halloween party and Clay almost says yes but then Uncle Tony appears from out of nowhere and reminds him that he has plans tonight. He'd already told Tony that he's going to attend his 32nd birthday tonight instead... Clay confronts Tyler in the dark room of the school. Because in America, I've noticed from TV shows and movies that every school has a dark room, which is pretty cool. And Tyler justifies his creepy behavior by claiming to have been in love with Hannah. Because love gives you a divine right to commit crimes against minors. So that's good. There's also a scene where Justin and Jessica are announced as the winners of the Halloween costume contest. And Tyler says. It's pathetic the way they celebrate themselves. I'm almost certain after a brief profiling of Tyler that he has all the makings of a lone wolf high school shooter. Like I'm starting to think it's a good thing Hannah did kill herself because if she didn't, Tyler would definitely have done it after she rejected him and he probably would have killed a few other people as well before turning the gun on himself. Anyway, what follows here is a very convoluted trifecta of stuff going on from three different timelines or four if you include Clay's paranoid daydreaming so first we see Clay cycle past Hannah's house and remember it's Halloween Hannah's house is being toilet papered or paper bombed or toilet paper bombed what's that thing called where American kids throw toilet paper on other American kids houses Anyway, Clay tells the kids to get lost and Olivia opens the door to see Clay with the toilet paper in his hand. He explains the situation and that he was a friend of Hannah and he was just cleaning up after the other kids. She invites him inside and the scene transforms into a flashback where Hannah is in the house with Courtney, the girl from school who spoke to Clay in episode one. She's at Hannah's house so they can set up a trap for the stalker and shine a bear light on him, revealing his identity and startling him at the same time. Meanwhile, elsewhere, Hannah's father runs a local drugstore that's losing business to a giant Walplex, And we see him talking to a friend and longtime customer outside the Walplex, only to realize that he has lost this guy's custom to Walplex. And the large shadow of capitalism looming over the tiny local drugstore and swallowing all of its customers is just another thing that he, this guy has to deal with. We then cut back to Clay and Olivia where Clay has a vision of Olivia choking him out with the cable for his Beats headphones after experiencing the tapes. This isn't real, and it's halted by Clay splashing water in his face, but I I felt like this was just a really poorly generic way of showing Clay's inner conflict. But I guess it gets the job done, it's a fine scene for what it had to be, but I think this show has too many of those scenes. Like, for example, in the very first episode with Clay seeing an empty chair, and then Hannah suddenly appears in it, and then he comes back to reality from the teacher saying his name. It just seems like that that I've seen a hundred times before, if not a thousand times. I feel like I don't need to have them repeated all the time, and this show could do well, considering it has two different platforms for its storytelling. I feel like they could be more innovative than this but that's not really for me to say. This isn't super important, but it's interesting to see how Hannah's mother Olivia looked in her flashback scene and the contrast to how she looks now. By comparison, it's as if she's been spending five years straight trying to figure out how many times Tony must have failed his final exams and had to repeat the last year in school. Courtney and Hannah get a little too drunk and a somewhat unexpected lesbian scene breaks out as Courtney gets a little bit too comfortable during a game of truth or dare. Because this is what all girls do when they hang out in their bedrooms, guys, just so that you all know that. As this scene is happening, Tyler is outside taking pictures of it with his gigantic camera because love makes you do crazy things. Hannah shines the light in his eyes, uncovering his identity, which causes Courtney to flee the scene in horror. Meanwhile, Clay bundles his way out of Olivia's house because his dilemma, his inner conflict, has led him to believe that avoidance is the only possible outcome. We then see Olivia cut a forlorn figure as a clue to her daughter's death cycles away in confusion, juxtaposed by Hannah from the past standing in the same doorstep, piecing together the events that have just unfolded in her night. The next day, Hannah appears to retrieve all the photos from Tyler, who then asks her out because he's really good at picking his moments. Hannah laughs him off because he's clearly a deranged lunatic, and in the anger of this scorned loner, he decides to get his gun and shoot everybody in the school. Okay, that's not true, but he does release one shot. A shot of Hannah and Courtney kissing which circulates in the school the same way the upskirt photo of Hannah did in the first episode. It turns out that nobody actually figured out it was Hannah and Courtney but Clay still had his way with the idea that it was. Clay goes downstairs in his house for dinner in the next scene only to see that Tony has arrived and he's going to join them at the table. So I've come to accept certain things in this show and I've kept my reviews fairly sophisticated. But this fucking guy is driving me crazy. I think he might be the most infuriating character I've ever seen in any TV show. He's not even remotely believable. And he's so vague that he would make more sense as a politician's child over on House of Cards. During this scene, Tony metaphorically instructs Clay to continue with the tapes and it is one of the worst scenes I've ever seen. Before Tony leaves the house and gives Clay another vague non-reason for his actions, we do finally see some emotion from Andy, Hannah's father. He breaks down after the inference that nobody realizes his daughter has a name and a face. He appears to be comparing her to his failing drugstore, losing its identity to the Walplex. It's actually kind of bizarre that the only time he realizes his daughter's memory might be worth fighting for is when he compares her to his business. We then see the jock team making more vague threats about Clay in a bid to seize the tapes and stop him from learning their secrets. I'm not going to give too much context to this because I feel like we're going to see... This exact scene getting more and more intense each time. It's going to build up a little bit more until presumably Justin does something rash and reactionary to try and limit the damage that could be caused from Clay listening to the tapes. We also find out that Clay has stalked Tyler and circulated a picture of him exposed after he came out of the shower. Tyler cries himself to sleep while Justin wishes death upon Clay and Clay tells Tony he was making his own justice. So... I actually liked this episode. I've come to accept things about the show. It's going to be the way it is because that's the way it was filmed. I don't think I can do anything about the number of tattoos that these teenagers have or things like that. But I do like its ability to keep me guessing and to continuously surprise me. While I think I have a very clear picture of Hannah and her suicide in my head, I don't seem to be able to reconcile it rationally with the fact that I still have nine episodes to go, and the reasons why appear to get more and more dark with each passing episode, to the point where I'm starting to think that these kids are capable of anything, the things that they will enable, the fact that we saw Clay masturbating to the picture of Courtney and Hannah kissing, shows that he was complicit in some way, like... I guess it's hard to articulate but the show is doing a really neat job of showing how you can be a part of something without actually being a part of something and that is pretty cool there are definite references to a realistic secondary school experience in here you just have to sift through the glamour and the craziness to get there but so far I would say that it's a journey worth taking. So, I am looking forward to episode five, and I hope you guys are looking forward to the review for that. So, I've been Alden Nero. Thanks for listening.